Shalom, shalom, everyone. Thank you for being here on the podcast, on the live stream, um, here in the Zoom, wherever you are. We're so thrilled to learn with you today on this very important topic of um, organ donation, living donation in particular, and looking at um, halakha, looking at various aspects of Torah uh, on this important topic from Rabbi Dr. Jason Weiner, BCC, serves as the senior rabbi and executive director of the spiritual care department at Cedar sinai in LA, where he's responsible for the chaplaincy team and all aspects of spiritual care throughout the health system. Rabbi Weiner previously served as the assistant rabbi at Young Israel of Century City. He's earned two rabbinic ordinations, as well as a doctorate in clinical bioethics from Loyola University in Chicago, where he has also earned a master's degree in bioethics and health policy. In addition to a master's degree in Jewish history from Yeshiva University, Rabbi Weiner has completed four units of clinical pastoral education. He's a board-certified chaplain through Neshama Association of Jewish Chaplains. He's a member of the executive committee of the Cedar sinai Bioethics Committee, a past president of the Southern California Board of Rabbis, and has been honored with rabbinic leadership awards from the Orthodox Union and Chai Lifeline. Rabbi Weiner is also the rabbi of Knesset Israel Synagogue of Beverlywood and frequently serves as a scholar in residence at conferences and synagogues throughout the nation on topics related to Jewish medical ethics, pastoral care, health and wellness, and teaches hands-on Jewish medical ethics in, in the hospital to numerous Jewish high schools in LA. He's the author of three books. First is Care and Covenant, A Jewish Bioethic of Responsibility, Georgetown University Press, uh, Jewish Guide to Practical Medical Decision-Making by Urim, and, um, or uh, published by Urim, and Guide to Observance of Jewish Law in a Hospital by Kodesh Press. He's also published more than 40 scholarly articles and book chapters, as well as several popular pieces. Rabbi Weiner is not only a scholar of medical ethics, as mentioned, but um, has himself uh, been deeply involved on the chaplaincy level and on the personal level on organ donation issues. And so it's a great honor to have him here to learn with him. He's going to present for about 40, 45 minutes and then open up the conversation. Of course, at any time, if you want to write in the chat, you're welcome to do so. We'll also be monitoring the live stream if you'd like to weigh in over there. Robin Weiner, welcome. Oh, thank you very much. It's very kind of you and I appreciate it. Good to be here with you. Looking forward to learning together and hearing your feedback and questions and comments and sharing with you a topic that um, I've always found very interesting, very important, and I and 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 personally very meaningful, as as I'll describe. Um, I'll show you some of the sources in a second. Um, there's a lot to say about this topic. It's a it's a very important topic. There's a lot of people in great need of organs, and it can save lives and really change lives. And when we we talk about organ donation, you know, I find it helpful to separate it into a few different areas. We're only going to focus on one today. A very important area, but um, I, I like to break it down to three different areas. Those being posthumous organ donation, meaning after someone has died, they're a cadaver, there's, they're dead by all opinions, and there are parts of their body that can be used to help other people, whether it's skin, uh, bones, or cornea that can enhance quality of life, or whether it's organs that can actually save lives. And that ends up being a discussion about, obviously, pekuach nefesh, saving lives, and also the issues of burial, speedy burial, benefiting from a corpse, things like that. That's all interesting and important conversations. You know, autopsies, lots of interesting discussions that have had a very prominent place in Jewish thought. Then there's like a middle area, I call sometimes a gray area, which has to do with, let's say, DCD, which is donation after cardiac death, which are for patients who are not necessarily dead yet by all criteria, but their death is sort of facilitated or in a hospital to enable them to donate their organs. Also issues related to brain death and definition of death, um, a very important uh, um, field and, and issue to discuss, which could also be fully its own, you know, conversation. What we're talking about today is living organ donation and what's often called altruistic organ donation, which is primarily kidneys. It doesn't have to be. It could be a lobe from a liver or lung. There could be other areas. Obviously, it could also be tissue, such as blood donation, right? It's very common or um, bone marrow donation, which we will actually talk about a little bit as well. Um, but kidney donation, you know, in the United States, there's about 90,000 people on the waiting list for a kidney. People have to undergo dialysis while they wait. Oftentimes, it's very tortuous to wait. And, and, and the, the survival rate on dialysis is not extremely long. And people oftentimes don't make it. Many people die every day waiting for a kidney. And, um, and we have two. So, so we'll discuss, you know, is this something that a person should be encouraged to do? Is, does Jewish law or Jewish values have anything to say about this? And 
what should be our approach? And actually, this is something that, um, you know, as was was mentioned, you know, I've, I've been involved with working in a hospital now for 16 years. I've been involved in bioethics and we're going to have books on the topics and speak about it often. And I, you know, always thought about it and talked about it. Personally, never planned to um, donate an organ. That's just kind of not my style. I guess I'm just really, in, I'm just really concerned about my, my, um, my body and my health. And I kind of never thought that that was something that I, I would do. Um, I did swab for a friend of mine. He was in need and I thought, okay, it can't hurt to swab, you know? So I did swab for someone to see if I was a match because he was in severe need. And thankfully or not thankfully, but at the moment, I guess I could say, thankfully, I was not a match. I felt relieved because thankfully he did find a match and his life was saved. In fact, he received an organ here at the hospital that I work at. And I was happy to see that his life was saved. That was in April of 2021, which when I swabbed. Then in September of 2022, I got a call from Renewal, the organization for, with whom I had swabbed, that actually I was a match for someone, a perfect match for someone for whom, you know, they rank people um, by their antibodies. So let's say someone's a 70%. That means 70% of people will not be a match for them. They told me I matched for a woman in Toronto who was a, ranked at a 100 meaning 100% of people will not be a match for her. They said, really, it's 99.99999. You're that one needle in a haystack. You matched for her. And I was shocked and horrified and terrified that I matched with her. And I had to start thinking, okay, now this is not just an academic presentation. What will I do? And so I want to take you through some of the sources now before I share with you what I, what I did do and how I decided that and how these sources influenced my own decision-making and those who um, consult with me on this issue now. Um, and because, you know, Jewish law has something to say about everything that we can face. And um, I, I want to show you like the, the precedents our rabbis found because kidney donation has only been possible for, you know, since the 1960s. So when we talk about our rabbis, you know, <laughs> the Chazal, the rabbis of thousands of years ago, how could they have had anything to say about this, right? What relevant sources are there for them? And as I, as you know, I'll show you and you'll see what you think if you agree, but I think that they actually found some very relevant precedent, some profoundly relevant precedent within our tradition to help guide us in these decisions. And I ended up finding that these sources that we're going to look at literally guided me step by step in my decision making process and what they led me to. So um, I'll, I'll show with you some of the sources. They start somewhat um, less relevant, so to speak, kind of more general principles, and then they become more and more deeply connected to our issue. So the first source that I want to share with you is a classical Gemara in Bava Metziah. The Gemara says as follows. The Talmud says, There's two people walking on the way. They're in the desert. They're in the middle of nowhere, right? They're going on the way. They're in the middle of nowhere. And one of them has a flask of water. If both of them will drink from this water, they will both die. There's not enough water for both of them to get to survive. But if just one of them will drink, then that one can survive. So it's either both of them drink, but neither survive, or one drink, therefore one dies, but the other survives. So someone named Ben Petura, who is not quoted elsewhere in the, in the Gemara, and there's some fascinating theories on who that was, which for another time. But this individual Ben Petura says, it's better that they both drink it and therefore both die and not one of them cause or see the death of the other. That was Ben Petur's opinion. But then the great Rabbi Akiva came and said, the, the, the Torah says, your fellow shall live with you. Your life comes before the others. And therefore, you're the one holding the flask of water. It's your water. You drink it. It's kind of like on the classic examples, like on the airplane, when they say to you, you know, if, if there's, God forbid, an accident, a crash, and the oxygen comes down, you first save yourself, then save others. But your life comes first. And that seems to be the principle that the Gemara gives from Rebbe Kiva, that when, when faced with the situation of sacrificing our life for someone else, or saving our life, we're actually required to save our own lives first. That seems to be what the Talmud is telling us. There is another opinion in the Yushalmi. What I just read to you is from the Bava in the Talmud of Bavli, the classic Babylonian Talmud. But the Yushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud, says it has a slightly has another story that might give a different perspective. 
it might not be a claw for everyone. It might not be a general principle, but it's it's just a story. But it says as follows: Rev Isi Itzdid Besafsufa. Rabbi Rev Isi was captured in a city called Safsufa. I'm Rabbi Yonasan Besadino. It's so dangerous it, where he is. It's so impossible to save him. You might as well prepare his burial shrouds now, because where he was captured, there's there's no saving him. He's he's a lost cause. But I'm a Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish. But Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish came along. Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, by the way, the side point we know, he was someone who was like referred to as sort of like a gangster in the Talmud, and then later became a rabbi. He started out as a, very, a ruffian, you know, I don't know the right word for it, but a, a tough guy. And then later he became a rabbi. But he has this background as being someone who's very strong and very, you know, um, able to, you know, battle with people. So he came along. This rabbi, Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, says, no, I did the anakatavanamit I don't think we should just give up on him. I'm going to go and either kill or be killed. I'm going to fight for my friend. You know, whatever it takes. I'm going to go and fight for him with strength. Whatever I have to do, I'm going to try to save his life. I'm going to risk my life to save his life. He goes and he fights and he maybe appeases them with words, implies, but whatever it was, he convinced them and he was able to save his friend, Rav Isi, even though he risked his life. So the question is, who do we follow? The Babylonian Talmud or the Jerusalem Talmud? And it seems to be for most of the commentaries that we, we follow the Babylonian Talmud here, but the Jerusalem Talmud still exists. I mean, it is an opinion. It is, there is such a thing as that. And so, so, you know, there might be room, but there was another source. And this is the source where I want to try to get more practical and really get into our, our issue and our concern here. And this, you know, I'll tell you how I ask when I, when I, when I talk to people about this often, you know, I often will ask people, raise their hands, you know, raise your hands. What do you say? Does Judaism support organ donation or not? And interestingly, by the way, as a side point, I personally found this is not, uh, you know, a, a, a clear academic study or research, but I used to always find that everyone raised their hands. Judaism does not support organ donation. That's what I would see people raising their hands. For whatever reason, when I'm asking audiences now lately, people are raising their hands that they believe Judaism does support organ donation. So there seems to be, at least in my impression, anecdotally, a shift. But anyways, I said that, so then I asked them, okay, fine. If Judaism supports organ donation, um, what's the source for it? Can you show me a source? What When our rabbis first asked this question in the 1960s, what did they have to look at? On the one hand, yes, they could look at this these sources and they would say, okay, Rabbi Kiva said on the one hand, don't risk your life. That's when it's risking your life, right? Giving your life. But Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish said, well, you know, maybe there could be times when you could take a risk to save someone else. Maybe there could be times. So is it just based on that? Or do we have a better source? And fascinatingly, the rabbis had a very good source, a very accurate, you know, analog. And this goes back to the 15th century Egypt. Actually, it might even go earlier than that. But for now, we'll, we'll quote this source because that's what's quoted most often. But it seems to be that the Rikanti quoted, mentions this a few hundred years earlier. But 15th century Egypt, there was the following question. In fact, I'll read you the question because it's worth seeing it inside. The Radavans, the chief rabbi of Egypt, 15th century Egypt, is asked as follows. You wanted to know my opinion. You saw it written elsewhere. If the king, the ruler, says to a Jew, let me cut one limb from you that you won't die from, and if not, then I will kill another Jew. So imagine the scenario now. Just imagine the scenario. You, you, you have someone who just captures a Jew randomly. And he takes that Jew captive and then he approaches the Jewish community and you know, it's some kind of like anti-Semitic ruler. And he says, OK, Jews, I know you all seem to take care of each other. You seem to be dedicated to each other. Now I have a challenge for you. I have captured so and so. He's not this person's not your family member, your friend, just a fellow Jew. And I am going to kill them. I'm going to kill them. I'm going to publicly execute them. And this is something that had happened. They knew that this wasn't an empty threat. Right. Then he says, however, I'm willing to let him go free if one of you will come forward and let me chop off your arm. If you let me chop off your arm, then I will save the life of your fellow Jew. If not, I kill them. I kill this Jew. So now the challenge is for all the, all the, the entire community, is someone willing to step forward and give up their arm to save a life? Now we presume, and, he's, and the way the question was asked, 
that we presume that this person that gives up their arm will survive. They'll survive giving up this this um, this you know procedure. Obviously, it's a quite it's still risky and it's quite um, a sacrifice. And it's to it's to save it, but it's to save a life. Give up their arm to save life. Who would do it? And oftentimes I'll ask people, and, and you know people, that's quite a lot to ask, right? You, we need our arms. And this is not some person's not saying that's their person's, you know, relative, their child, their parent, their their spouse or anything. You know, it's the, it's uh, it's just a random fellow Jew. Would they give up their arm to save a life of another person? Um, so the Radhavaz is asked this question. So the question is, what did the Radhavaz say? What does Jewish law require? And he gives a fascinating answer because what precedent did he have? He simply says the precedent is a general principle. He says, the Torah's ways are ways of pleasantness, and all its paths are peace, right? That's what it says in Proverbs. And it must be that the Torah um, complies to logic. So therefore, Vesvara, and, 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 you know, and in intellect. So therefore, he says, how could it be that someone should be required to blind themselves or give their, their hand or or their arm so that their fellow individual will not be killed? How can you imagine that that would be required? So therefore he says, and this becomes relevant, very relevant, I do not see that this should be required. I think it could be very pious and praiseworthy is the one who is able to withstand this challenge and actually do this. But then he says, actually, but you know what? I don't know who's asking me. Is it a hospital who's asking me about this? Or is this just some kind of random, um, you know, individual who's going to cut off their arm in the middle of the shuk or wherever? And it could, they could actually be life-threatening. If they might die as a result, he says, that's kind of like Rabbi Akiva's case. He says, that would be a pious fool, actually. There, there are certain types of piety that we might think we're being very pious and we're being very righteous, but it's actually foolish. It's not helping anybody. It's hurting. And we should not be pious when it's actually pious, when it's a chasid shota, when it's, when, it's, when, it's, when, it's, when it's being a pious fool. So if one will actually likely die or even maybe die as a result, they should not do it. Because your doubt is, comes before the certainty of that other individual, like we saw in the precedent of Rebbe Kiva, that your life comes first. So in other words, what, he's, what, what the Red Vaz is setting up here is kind of a tripartite system. This is the way I like, I like to see it. In fact, in my book, I, did, I, I made this as a chart with three, three steps. If it would be something that's not dangerous at all, so let's just give the example of blood donation, right? Let's say the call goes out, and this happens a lot. Calls go out. You know, there's a critical need for blood donation right now. It's not really dangerous to donate blood. Uh, assuming that the person doesn't have it, someone might have their own individual reason why they can't donate blood. That's fine. But in general, I'm saying, let's say a call goes out, and there's a desperate need. And you're in a place where there's a real severe shortage, and they really need everyone to give blood. And the risk is so minor. I mean, it's, it's almost non-existent of donating blood. It's so safe, um, especially for the average person, right? Again, putting aside someone who might have, there might be someone who has individual risk factors. So that could, could be considered something that could be obligatory, right? Because it's not risky and it's saving others. But then he says, then you have the middle category where it's, it is risky, right? There is a significant risk involved, Um but it is saving a lot of lives, right? So this is where he said, you know, that would be, okay, you're saving a life, you're risking yourself, so it's not required, but it would be a midas chasidus, it would be pious, right? It would be a pious thing to do. Then we go to the further category where it would be significant risk to life, either, you know, certainly giving one's life or significant risk to life. In that case, he argues it's a chasid shota, that would be, actually be prohibited. So you have your kind of three three levels of risk. And, and it, the, as the benefit increases and the risk goes down, the more obligatory it comes. As the risk increases, the less obligatory it becomes. I and mean, we cannot require someone to give their life, to risk their life for someone else. We can forbid by Jewish law actually risk giving one's life for someone else. We cannot require giving um, risking one's life for someone else. So now the question is, we, we see from that right of Oz, a pretty strong analog to organ donation, right? Will you give part of your body 
to save someone else's life. And now we seem to have some kind of precedent, right? If it's if it's gonna if it's gonna kill someone or possibly kill someone, you can't do it. If it won't kill them, it's pious but not required. If it's not dangerous at all, it's required. So how did the rabbis begin applying this? And this, by the way, is part of my, I have a little bit of a theory about why so many Jews seem to have thought or still think that organ donation is prohibited by Jewish law. And even when it comes to living donation, there's many Jews who have this conception that Jewish law does not support organ donation. And I think one of the reasons for that likely is because in the first generation of rabbinic scholars who dealt with this question in the 1960s, when it first became possible to donate organs such as kidneys, the first rabbis were not incredibly supportive. I'll, I'll show you an example. One of the one of the most famous rabbis to deal with medical lacha, the two two of the most famous actually was the the Minchas Yitzchak, Dain Yitzchak Weiss, who was the 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 rabbi for Shari Medical Center in Yerushalayim. He was one who was not um, strongly supportive. The other was the other rabbi um, who was one of the main rabbis of who asked answered questions for Shari Medical Center in Yerushalayim. Rabbi Eliezer Waldenberg, that's it's Eliezer. He was asked this question, and I think his reading, his reasoning is, is relevant. He quotes that Radvaz that we just read, and then he quote, and then he concludes as follows with, with the part that I put up here. He says, This is Sitzeliezer Chelek Test Simon Memhe, 945. In the end, in section 13, he writes, Zos Torah Ola. Here's my conclusion after quoting that Radvaz that we just read. He says, in a place where there's certainly a, a risk of losing one's life. As a result, he says, It would be forbidden to donate a limb or an organ to save someone else when there is a certain risk to one's own life. Even though it's saving the other person from a certain danger, it's forbidden to risk one's life um, to, to save another life. But Ose Cain, and is one who does that, Hareze Chasid Shota, that's a pious fool. Therefore, it's forbidden even for the doctor to engage in such a treatment. Um, to, in order to risk someone's life, even though it's to save one person's life, there it's forbidden to risk one's life in order to save another life. Then he, then he goes on, and just if you see here, then he says, But what if it's not danger to life? Um, so, even though it's not an obligation or even a mitzvah, he argues, and this is 1965, to donate an organ to save for someone else. It's not obligatory, it's not a mitzvah, but it's certainly pious if it's not risking one's life. And so he concludes, this is a Tzitzel Yezer again, 1965, there concludes, okay. in general, I do not encourage organ donation, and a doctor should not perform this procedure, unless a group of knowledgeable expert doctors, mumchim yachlitu achreiun miduktak. After investigating this in, in particular case carefully, shadavar lo karuch besafik zekanas nefesh leminadei. Unless they've concluded that there's no risk to the life of this individual um, donor. So that was in 1965, and that was when the, the a few rabbis wrote about this at the time, and they were. I mean, I guess I would I would categorize that as being discouraging, right? It's not necessarily prohibited. But it's discouraging. It's not strongly encouraging. And in certain cases, it is prohibiting, right? If there would be a risk to life, which sometimes there was, right? It was much more dangerous, right? They were not doing laparoscopic procedures. Um, the the anti-rejection medication for the recipient wasn't as good. I mean, the surgery itself was more dangerous. The recipient wasn't necessarily lasting as long. It wasn't as successful as a procedure as it is today. And by the way, um, even though the procedure has gotten much safer, there are risks to, or, to kidney donation. I don't want to. I'm not. I want to make make it clear that I'm not going to try to argue here that it's something without any risk and it's totally um, um, uh, risk free. There are recent studies that have shown that there are some long term risks. They are very very minimal, but there are some slight risks to long term um, heart failure or kidney failure. Um, some higher risk of diabetes. Um, you know. 
um, there are there are risks in, involved, obviously, right? Um, especially if someone you know is is at the end of life and and um, they're they're experiencing organ failure. So obviously, having one kidney, if they need a if they need a transplant for another organ, that's obviously going to be um, a disadvantage for them. So so there are risks, and so the Sitzel Leisure came out in 1965 and was not um, exactly strongly endorsing, maybe even prohibiting. But that's 1965. Things did get much safer. And the procedures did improve, and the surgery got got much much better. And when Rabbi Ovadi Yosef um, was asked in 1981, right, a number of years later, 1981, and by the way, it's still safer today than it was then. But in 1981, Rabbi Ovadi Yosef um, summarizes the exact same sources that we've just looked at, right, the Rabbi Akiva and um, the Radavaz and the Sitzeliezer, and then he says, you know, it's much safer today. So Rabbi Ovadi Yosef writes, Ulam the Emes. Now that I have heard from expert doctors, God-fearing doctors, that nowadays the danger of donating a kidney is very minimal. Meaning, as I said, it, is, it exists. There is risk. And, you know, there, and there's sometimes even death from the procedure. I mean, it's extremely, extremely rare. But it does happen. It, ha- it could happen, you know. Um, you know, three and a hundred thousand or whatever it is. Um, and but 99% do return to full health. It, the vast majority, it's totally healthy, it's totally safe. Now, all of that which the rabbis that were concerned about it, that we've mentioned before, that one cannot enter a possible danger to their life. That's when it's like, you know, 50-50. But that's not true when it comes to kidney donation, live altruistic donation. That it's most certainly a mitzvah nowadays to save someone from certain death because it's so safe. Yeah, if it was 50-50, maybe not. But, which, by the way, implies, and this is also from the Radavaz. I didn't quote, it's on the sheet there, but I didn't, I didn't read it. But another Radavaz, where he says that when he's when you mentioned that 50 50 that whole thing about you know uh chassid shota being forbidden but but midas chassidus being encouraged the the, the dividing line was 50 percent once something is more than 50 percent risk of life that's when it becomes a fool to do it once it's less than 50 percent it becomes more and more encouraged so you could argue that donation could be like an 80 percent survival rate and that would be encouraged but the fact that it's 99.9 percent you know it's 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 even better. So that was in 1981, even when Rav Yosef came out, and he said that it's a mitzvah, right? He he used the word shibavadai mitzvahi, right? It's a mitzvah, not just that it's not forbidden, but it, it's a mitzvah. And the truth is, as you follow this in time, it gets even more because, as I mentioned to you, um, uh, it's gotten safer and safer. And it continues to get safer, by the way. It's a, it's it's a safer and safer procedure, and um, so. Uh, so um, let's so let's go to the next page, and I'll, I'll share with you. Oh, I didn't even finish Ravad Yosef. Just the last line there, and the next page I put on the next page says, mitzvah." So Ravad Yosef concluded, "It's it's allowed, and it's a mitzvah." Torim achat It's a mitzvah, um, and it's allowed to donate um, a kidney. Um, so the next that I want to share with you as we get to the most recent um, is. Um, the Minchas Asher, Rav Asher Weiss, the, 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 the Rav who's now the postic of Charitetic Medical Center. So we quoted before, Sitzeliezer and Minchas Yitzchak, who are both not encouraging organ donation in the 60s, who are the rabbis of Charitetic Medical Center. And the current rabbi of Charitetic Medical Center is Rav Asher Weiss. Um, and he and he he was asked the question. And in fact, by the way, before I even read to you his, you know, let me start to get a little more personal. Because um, I mentioned to you that um, I swabbed in April 2021. I was called in in September 2022, and I had to make a decision. Then, you know, what am I going to do? I never planned to donate a kidney. I only swabbed because a friend of mine needed it, and I always encouraged others to do it. Right? I always thought it was a myth. So I thought it was a beautiful thing when I heard about someone who did it. You know, I thought, what a what a you know incredible person. What a what a tzaddik, and I was always impressed by it. But I just thought, you know, it's not necessarily for me. I don't know if I can, I'm up for it. Then I get this call, actually sitting right here where I'm sitting right now, and I remember just being like shocked. My heart dropped when I got this call. You know, they said to me, 
very quickly. I answer the phone. You, Jason Weiner. Okay, you're a match. We have a match for you. You're the only match. Um, uh, they were very kind to say to me, you don't have to decide right now. You know, call your wife, talk to your family, call your rabbi. But um, here's our number, and um, let's let's talk. And so I, I was in in shock and um, really really struggling and scared. And my first call was, of course, to my wife. Um, my second call was to Rabbi Shawais, this rabbi of Sharitetic Medical Center, this rabbi who I have personally asked a lot of my questions to. And, um, and you know, I, I, I was like, you know, I wasn't sure if I could do this or not. And I wanted to know, like, what, what is the halacha? And, and he said to me, one of the first things he said is, this is the radvaz. You know, the radvaz, we just saw the radvaz. Okay, but that's not quite an answer, though, because how do we apply that radvaz? The radvaz said, in some cases, you're obligated. In some cases, you're forbidden. In some cases, it's a good thing. In some cases, right? So, um, so let me show you what he wrote, and then I think it'll become obvious. And I'll tell you our conversation specifically, because he had already written about this. In fact, um, he said to me, because I talked to him about this before, he said, you know my position on this. And I said, yeah, I do know your position on this, but now it's not theoretical, right? Now it's me, and I need to know what I should do personally. So here's his position on this. And, and this is coming from, again, the, the current rabbi of Sharit Sadiq Medical Center, because a significant postsake. He has a whole long chuva where he quotes that radvaz. He deals with that radvaz in depth. And then he says as follows. Um, I'll, make, I'll make it bigger. Whoa, too big. Uh, let, me, let me just show you the, that source. Okay. Um, so Ravasher Weiss writes. So now he quotes that radvaz and then he concludes. Um, first of all, what if we were talking just about, um, not about a kidney, but about, um, uh, about, um, about bone marrow, right? What if it was bone marrow talking about? Where bone marrow, bone marrow is sometimes very, very difficult to find a match. And bone marrow, when you find the right match for someone, that could literally save their life. So it's very life-saving, but the risk to the donor of bone marrow is minimal, right? Minimal, minimal. It's much less than a kidney donation. So he says, When it comes to bone marrow donations, it's minimal. It's almost no, no risk to the donor, right? He says, even if you're going to say that there's some very distant risk, I would actually say you are obligated. If you find, if a person finds out that they are a match and they are the one match and they could save a life by donating uh, bone marrow to someone, I would say they must. If they want to know Jewish law on that, they would be required to donate. But what about when it comes to a kidney? He says, in this case, this is a fascinating statement. He says here, if it wasn't for the fact that I'm afraid of my friends, meaning I think what he means by that is the other rabbis, right? The other post game. If I wasn't afraid of what they would say about me, I would, I would be inclined to say that today, it's also an obligation to donate a kidney. I think donating a kidney is also obligated. That all the studies have shown now that risk to the donor is minimal and almost non-existent. It's so safe today. So therefore, maybe kidney donation is also an obligation by Jewish law today. He says, I'm afraid to go that far. Th that is quite far to say. And the, and the benefit to the recipient is massive. So, it sh so maybe even it should be required. So he says, I'm not going to go that far. There was, by the way, there was a Satma Rav in, in I think, in here in, in America, but a, a posseg, I think it's called Yan David, who came out with a psak that is obligatory to donate a kidney. Though some people sent me this article that, that quoted it and said, oh, look, this rabbi came out actually said it's obligatory. Should you go around now and telling people like, hey, by the way, Jewish law requires you to donate a kidney. You have to do it just like, you know, anything, anything else. You, you can't eat, uh, you know, pork and you have to donate a kidney. Is that is that true? So actually, I lo looked into that, Chuva, and the, the case was a little different. It was about a person giving to his wife, and he was the only match for her, and he thought that the person is required because it's the only match. It was a little bit of a different case. It wasn't saying that you have to give to a random person. It's a little bit different, right? But anyways, Rav, Rav, Rav Usher Weiss is saying here that it seems to be that it actually might be obligatory. He just doesn't want to go that far because that's quite a lot to say. That would be quite a lot to say you're required to give. So he says, I, I'm not going to say you're required, but it's it's an incredible thing. He says, It's very, very pious. It's there, very, therefore a proper thing to do and also proper to encourage others to do, not to require. You cannot say someone that they're required. 
for lots of reasons. In fact, when I called him, so then he said to me, um, he said, so look, you know what I'm going to say. You're not required to do it. You do not have to do it. He said, first of all, what does your wife say? You have to talk to your family because it impacts your family. If nothing else, just for that very first um, little bit of time when you're recovering, right? You're going to be out of commission for a while and, and everything falls on them. So, and, and, and also, by the way, what if, and this is what he said to me, he said, the only time I tell someone not to donate is if they know someone in their family has a kidney disease that they might one day need a kidney. So he says, if you know someone in your family might one day need, don't, don't just give to a stranger, you know, um, just, just because you happen to match with someone, if you know, you might need to give to someone else in your family. Although on the other hand, just by the way, they do tell you, and, and it's questionable how much this, you know, there has been some controversy about this. Maybe we can talk about this later in the question and answer session, but they do tell you that you will, your family, you and your family will be on the top of the list to receive if you ever need. Okay. But um, there's even, I even once heard about someone who wanted to give as an insurance policy so that they would be, to put themselves on top of the list. I don't know that that's makes sense. But um, anyways, he said to me, as long as he said, so he said to me, number one, you're not required. He said, it, his words were, it's a gewaltigus It's a very pious thing, but you are not required. I'm not going to say it's required. Number two, you have to talk to your family. They have to be up for it. It's, it's not just a private decision, you, you by yourself. It's a family decision. Number three, he said, if anyone in your family might one day need, probably better not to give, right? Save your kidney for them. Okay, maybe if you're getting older and everyone looks good in your family and now you're getting into your late 60s or 70s, you say, you know what? No one in my family needs it and soon they won't take my kidney. Maybe that's different. That's what he said to me. But, um, but um, he, and he said, but if you could do it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great match. Like I said, the, I was the only match for someone. So to me, the fact that I'm the only match she was a set is a 72 year old woman. She's um, Jewish, not an observant Jew. And I'm the only mattress she'd been looking for three years and unable to find anyone and really suffering. Um, and so, so I had to decide. And basically, basically my question was, uh, first of all, I, I started to realize, um, I have to, can I, do I practice what I preach? I've been encouraging others to do this. I've been praising this to others. And now I'm faced with this decision. And I, I thought to myself, people have asked me this question before here in the hospital. People have come to me and said, I'm a match. What should I do? And I've encouraged them. I've also met people who have donated kidneys and I have praised them. And now what does it say about me that I'm so scared to do it now that I've matched with someone? And so I really had to do a lot of nefesh, really, you know, critique myself and think about myself and like think am I up for it? And people said to me, you know, I could never do that. And my response was, I, I never could either, but now I had to make a decision. And um, then it got, it got practical and I decided, you know what, step number one, and this is what I encourage others is they never force you at any step of, any step of the way. They say to you, any step of the way you can back out. So, so they say, if you want to go through the process, there's a whole evaluation. You have to, first, we have to make sure they have to work you up and make sure that you're actually healthy enough to donate. And um, that you're, it, it'll be safe. Because by the way, in addition to wanting you to be safe, the, the, the centers that do these organ transplants, they want their numbers to be good. They don't want to take a risky case that's going to then, you know, if something goes bad, it's going to look bad on them too. They want to make sure that they're safe in taking qualified candidates. Um, so, I, so I said, you know, why don't I go through the process? Let me see if I really am even, a can I don't have to decide today. I can say to them, I'm willing to be worked up. I'm willing to take the next step. Let me Go to step number two and see if I'm really even a candidate and, and see what, what happens um, from there. And the whole way they tell you no pressure. We will not tell anyone, um, you know, if, if, if you back. In fact, when I met with the surgeon, he said to me, you know, he checked me out. And he said, OK, from my perspective, you, you're good. But if you want me to, I could find a problem. In other words, he said, I'm happy to come up with an excuse. I'll make it up. I don't care if it's lying. I'll tell everyone, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not approving you for surgery. Um, it was very nice of him to agree to get checked out, but I'm not letting him. And then he said, and I'm willing to take the blame. I'll, I'll, I'll make it up for you. And you can go leave. And, and as far as they, they're concerned, you were willing to, but I didn't let you. You know, so, so they give you an out every step of the way. So I remember one of my first questions, so I, so I said, okay, I'll get worked up. Let me get worked up and let me see. And for me, I had to go to Toronto because that's where my, my match was. I work in a hospital where we do lots of kidney transplants and I would have loved to do it here. I know the team very well and I very, feel very confident here and talk about, you know, um, pressure on my family. It's one thing to have a surgery for a few days and then come home. Another thing to have to go to another country, right? So that's a much more difficult, but 
So I said, so, and, and because of the insurance, I couldn't just have the patient come here. So I went to Toronto for a week. I got worked up. They check out everything. First of all, just as a side point, it's a great opportunity to get a real good workup and see if, if you're in good health or not. Because if there's something wrong with you, they'll find it, right? <laughs> they'll find it in that workup. They check everything, all the scans and blood work and, and everything. And one of my questions was, I started, I even asked one rabbi, I was scared. I was embarrassed to ask for Russia Weiss. I told you I asked him the question at first. I was scared to ask him this question, but I, but um, one of my questions was, which kidney should I donate? <laughs> I started thinking, which one do I want? I didn't realize, uh, you know, the way it works is that they scan your kidneys. And in my case, for example, my right kidney was doing 60% of the work, my left kidney 40%. So they say, you're the donor. You run the process. We do everything on your schedule, right? We want you to be comfortable, right? Because you're giving of yourself. So therefore, you keep the better kidney. You keep the one at 60 and we'll give your recipient 40. She'll be very happy to get that kidney. Even if it's not doing all the work, it'll, it'll get her off of the dialysis and save her life. So it's great. So that's how they decide. Sometimes I was told if it's 50-50, they might choose the left kidney anyways, because if you think about it, there's more risk to your left kidney because like they tell you, if you donate a kidney, you should not participate in contact sports because you have to protect that one kidney. Well, technically driving is a risk. And in America, when we drive you know, on the left side of our car, our left side is more exposed in an accident. So theoretically, you know, that's more risk to your left side. So all else being equal, they might still take the left kidney. But still, I was wondering, why was I wondering? The reason I was wondering is because I was doing Dafyomi. And Dafyomi, right when I was asked, came across the following issue, which I was, thought was fascinating. I'm, I'm finding out that I'm an option to donate a kidney. And then kidneys were mentioned in the Gemara. On the Dafyomi, look at this following quote. The Gemara says here in Brachos, Samach um, al-Amad Aleph, it says, it's talking about this whole issue of Chayos Yoatzos. The, the rabbis believed, the rabbis had this conception that our kidneys give us advice. We get advice from our kidneys, which, by the way, is a side point. The idea with that is that, at least what I, I remember, that my favorite explanation of that is that, you know, kidneys are borer ochel mitochap solas. They take the good from the bad. They filter our blood. They're filtering, right? The kidneys are filters. And that's what advice is, Aitsa. Aitsa is filtering out ideas, filtering the good from the bad, you know, taking a bunch of options and trying to figure out what makes sense, what categorizing things. And so kidneys categorize your blood, so to speak. So kidneys give us advice. But which kidney does what? So the rat, the Gemara says something really, really interesting, right? It says, A human has two kidneys, right? Usually. One for the good and one for the bad. And it must be that the good kidney, the, the one that gives you your Yetzirah Tov, your good advice is on your right side. And and the bad advice is on the left. So I thought to myself, maybe I should give the left kidney. And then I won't have Yetzirah anymore. Not that I did anyways, but then, I, then I'll only have good thoughts and never bad thoughts. Let me get rid of the bad kidney because that's the one that makes me do bad things. Although I felt a little guilty. Do I want to give a donor the bad kidney? And anyways, so I asked a rabbi this. He said to me, oh, come on. It, it's, it doesn't mean it literally. It doesn't literally mean that. It's, just, it's, it's symbolically. It means your heart's in the middle. In fact, that's what the, that's what the commentaries say. I'll keep this, the source sheet up here so you can see. The sources, the commentaries say that you know it's symbolic that your heart is being pulled in both directions. Um, not by your actual organs, but that, you know, you have, you, you have the uh, Yetzirah Tov Yetzirah, we have good inclinations and bad inclinations, um, and, and, and you still will have good and bad, and so will the recipient, so you should just give the better kidney, it's, it's a health question, not a, not a halakha question, and just give the better kidney, so that's what I did, obviously, I, I wasn't going to tell the surgeon once they told me, the nephrologist, that, you know, you should keep your right kidney, and give your left kidney, I wasn't going to say, like, oh, I want to do this based on my Yetzirah Tov Yetzirah but by the way, I then later saw that Rav Yitzchak Zilberstein in Bnei Brak was asked this question. He said, Which one should I give? Left or the right? And he actually says, He therefore says, Maybe you should give the left kidney. Maybe that is better. But um, honestly speaking, you know, we, you give whichever one. And in fact, um, I then, you know, I went through the process. I found out that I was a perfect match. Um, I, once I realized that I'm a perfect match, I was healthy enough. Everything was, everything was good. Um, I started to feel like I, I couldn't say no. Not that I was pressured, but I started to feel like I would feel guilty my whole life. 
And I felt like there's an opportunity to do such a beautiful mitzvah. I started to feel, started to really believe in it. I started to feel like, you know, it basically it took time for the idea to assimilate within me. And it took a few months to do all this testing and everything. And I finally felt like, you know what? I can do this. I feel I'm confident that it's safe. And um, I feel like it's a really beautiful thing. And um, I, I, I want to go for it. And, and I did. And in fact, it's not that I don't have a Yetzirah anymore. Obviously, I'm the same person. We're all the same, you know, the, the same person. But I do feel that it helped me in certain ways donating my kidney. I went through with it. It was, it became one of the most beautiful things in my life. I mean, one of the things I'm most proud of personally, privately, you know, um, which by the way, as a side point, I didn't want to public publicize it. At first I was thought, I thought this is a bigger mitzvah if I keep it private, but I was encouraged by, by my rabbis, you know, uh, it will help other people. It will encourage others. And by the way, I was encouraged because I knew of people, great people who, before me who had donated kidneys. And because I'd seen that they did it and I reached out to many of them, I thought maybe I could do this as well. And so I thought if I can be a positive influence on others, maybe I should do it. And in fact, by the way, after I publicized it, the, the day of my surgery, I publicized it. And when I woke up from my surgery you know, a few days later, not that I woke up a few days later, but once I started kind of getting back to reality and checking my emails and texts, I had a number of texts from people um, with like selfies of themselves or just telling me that um, I'm swabbing. Now I saw what you did and it gave me the courage. I'm doing it now too. So it could be a positive influence on others. Um, in fact, one person who I, who I asked about this who had done it uh, 15 years ago, because I wanted to talk to someone. First of all, I talked to many rabbis. A lot of rabbis have donated kidneys, but I thought rabbis are too idealistic. Maybe I need to talk to the non-rabbis. I found some doctors who have done it. Um, I found someone, I remembered someone who did it 15 years ago. So I wanted to know, 15 years, have you had any negative impact? He says, no, I'm in perfect health. For 15 years, I'm totally fine. And he said to me, but by the way, I think about it every day. I said, what do you mean? He said, I, 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 I'm so like, I, it's such a good feeling. I feel so proud of myself. I feel it felt so good to save a life. And it was such a meaningful thing in my life that like I think about it literally every day still, which I thought was beautiful. It also for myself, even though, of course, you still have a Yitzhahara, Yitzhahara Tov, I sort of get it in, in, a, in, a, in a sort of a symbolic way, which is that it has motivated me in many ways. For example, it motivated me to live a healthier lifestyle. I realized, you know, um, I, need, I only have one kidney left. So... I better take care of that kidney. So like, for example, I have to be worried about diabetes. I don't want to get diabetes with one kidney. So I stopped eating processed sugar and it's so much better for me, right? I've always wanted to stop eating sugar, but I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't have the motivation. I wanted to stop eating so much, you know, red meat. I wanted to just eat healthier in general. And this is what finally kind of gave me the motivation. I've tried many times in my life, but now I literally have, will have the candy bar in front of me and I'll be about to eat. It. I'm like, no, you know what? I'm not going to do it. And it, it, gave, it did give me the motivation. So it did strengthen my Yetzirah Tov, so to speak, in a certain way. And it, it did make me feel good about myself. It really, um, you know, it has it, been a, a meaningful thing. Um, someone, and, and with this, I'll start to conclude. And I'll show you one more source, one more really interesting thing that just to, to some closing remarks. But um, I, I published a book right, right before um, I donated my kidney earlier this year. It's been three months now, by the way. And I feel totally back to myself, totally back to normal. I feel fine. Thank God. Um, the first, uh, week was hard. First month was not easy. And now three months and I'm back. Thank God. It's, it's totally great. Um, so I published a book right before, and that book was a finalist for the, for the Rabbi Sachs book prize this year. So someone who's, uh, I, I don't know if I, I don't know, I think that person might be private about it. So I don't want to say their name, but an important individual in the Orthodox community who, um, was connected to that prize somehow emailed me and said, I heard about what you did and I want you to know something. Um, I did it too. First of all, she's, I didn't know this about her. And she said, um, you, I know you were very happy to receive that book prize and it was a big deal. She said, when you, for the rest of your life though, when you look back on 2023, what you're going to remember is your kidney donation. That's what really matters. The book prize prizes, that's a nice thing, but it's not what really matters in life. What really matters in life is the, are these kind acts that you do for other people, these selfless acts that will always be with you. And she, it just really, really, it was really moving to me that, that comment. And, um, um, you know, they, they, and, and they say, like I say, this, this gave me this motivation, you know, they say that kidney donors live longer than the average American. But my question about that is like, it's not the greatest statistic because you only the healthiest people are qualified to donate kidneys. So therefore, obviously they live longer, but I, I was thinking about it and it, it does, you know, it does make you appreciate every moment of life and it does make you live a healthier lifestyle. So maybe there is something to be said for that. But just the last thing, this, this, the, the community of donors, and just, just like that individual reached out to me 
Um, there, there is something, you know, um, one last source. They, they say in the name of Chaim Knievsky. I saw this in a, in a Shad and Tshuva Sefer um, from Rav Shmuel Elazar Stern, who I'd like to read his Tshuvas because he's also into medical halacha, called Shud Shvive Eish. And he writes here, Shemati B'Shem Agon Rav Chaim Knievsky Shlita. He was alive at that time, Rav Chaim Knievsky. The Chaim Baruch Hadash Baruch Adam B'Shtek Klayos. People were created with two kidneys. Why do we have two kidneys? Just so that we could donate one of them. Now, um, uh, he writes that the, the place where Chaim actually writes has a, a book called Time in the Crowd, where he actually says, no, we have two kidneys in case we, we need a backup. First, if we need a backup, we have two. But in case both are good, then we have two. And in fact, my surgeon told me this. When I asked him, I said to him, he's not Jewish, and he, you know, I just said to him, um, do you think this is safe what I'm doing? He said, I wouldn't do it to you if I, if I wasn't safe. And I said, well, why do we have two kidneys? And he, he said to me, we were created, our human body was created beautifully with redundancy because we need to have backups in our body in case, you know, imagine throughout human history, you get bit by a lion or something like that and you lose a kidney, your body has to be able to kind of adjust. So instead of your body adjusts, you, you need two kidneys, but then you, you can do fine with one. Because it always bothered me when someone said, oh, I'm giving away the extra kidney. But actually, in some ways, if you're healthy, um, our body is built that way. And I, and I thought that 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 is um, a beautiful thing and a profound thing. He concludes here, and with this uh, with this I'll, I'll I'll close. He he, because I, I just thought this is this is relevant. He concludes. He says, mm-hmm. There was a fight in the family. They all wanted to donate a kidney to their father, and they're fighting who should get the right, who should get the honor to donate their kidney. And I'm bringing this source to show that the sense of, of dedication that I find in the kidney donation community, it's such a beautiful thing that people donate kidneys. You know, in the Orthodox community, I was motivated by Orthodox, by Jewish values. Orthodox Jews make up less than, much less than 1% of the population of America, but 20% of altruistic kidney donors. I think it's a beautiful thing. So the kids were fighting over who can give to their father. Bachor or either the firstborn or the one who just volunteered first. He says they did a goral, and he said, you know, they're not. It's no obligation here, but um, but they they did a they did a goral, and and that was the one. So um, um, so so this was you know uh, um, just an example of like how people are sometimes fighting for the right to be able to give their kidney. I was I heard about a WhatsApp group of kidney donors where someone posted on the group the um the this new technology that um that there is uh it's a possibility of growing organs in in pigs and then donating them and then implanting them in humans and someone posted this on the group and said oh what is they thought people would say what a shame i don't i would i why did i give my kidney when i could have just you know had this technology and someone else could have given their kidney Uh, a pig i wouldn't have had to give my kidney but he said that on the group people just wrote in oh wow thank god i had the opportunity to donate mine before i wouldn't have had that opportunity People, you know, many people said to me when I asked them if they have any regrets about donating their kidneys, they said, my only regret is that I can't do it again. There is something very special about this opportunity. And what we see from, from this halacha, from the from the sugya here, is that Judaism does not require it, but it allows it and maybe even encourages it. And for myself in particular, I don't, I don't tell anyone that they're required. You know, it's a very personal decision. Everyone has very different reasons for why they might or might not do it. I personally was was very scared. I um, but for myself personally, I wanted to live up to what I've been preaching, to sort of practice what I've been preaching. And so therefore, for me, um, it was a very uh, special and meaningful thing. And I think it's something that the Torah in- encourages. And I think it's just a beautiful opportunity for someone who um, wants to take that that that, that chance. Yeah, Wow, that's so much to think about. Thank you so much. Let's open the floor if anyone wants to jump in with any. Any questions? Um, and I see uh, a Rabbi Hirsch wrote on the side. You can check out her her, her note over there. Um, anyone want to ask any questions? Feel free to unmute yourself. I'll go ahead and start. Thank you, uh, Rav Shmuley. And thank you so much, Rav Jason. This was so incredible and informative. Um, I, I recently looked up an article showing that Israelis are number one in donating kidneys to strangers in the world, uh, Israel tops of donating to strangers. Do you think there's ever a way to elevate a lot of the American Jews to get us uh, to that speed where 
American Jewish life could see it's so simple to, you know, think Jewishly about donating a kidney? Yeah, it's a great question because it's exactly what I was mentioning before briefly just about, um, you know, being a role model for others. Because there, there has been this perception in the Jewish world that, that organ donation is not allowed. And the, what's broken that conception, there partially it has been um, education, but primarily it has been role models. When people see other people doing it, so it becomes like, oh, wow, I guess this is allowed. Um, you know, I'll just tell you a funny story just briefly. So, you know, I, I was nervous about sharing my story, but then I finally decided to share it. And it was covered in the local Jewish press. And I was teaching a, at a high school recently, just a few weeks ago. And I started by asking this question. I said, you know, raise your hand if you think organ donation is allowed by Judaism. And I said, live altruistic kidney donation. So a few people said no. And um, one person said, but wait, I think it's allowed. Um, and, and I said, okay, why? She said, well, I think I, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, there was a rabbi here in LA who did it a couple weeks ago and it was on the Jewish journal. And I was like, oh yeah, you know who that rabbi was? And then someone else in the class was like, wait, I think it was you. So, so I mean, you know, by, by doing it and sharing our stories, um, that, is, that is encouraging. You know, Israel, there's been a, there's been a campaign to, to um, educate people, but also share and people find out, oh, wow, that person did it, that person did it. Um, maybe this is something that's like, I, I wouldn't have thought I could do this, but like it's positive peer pressure, you know, and that, that ends up being very valuable. So, um, uh, yes, I see uh, Abram is about to jump in. Yes, please. Yeah, so I just wanted to echo your comments. Uh, I donated uh, almost 13 years ago and it really was, I mean, back when I donated, it was to somebody I knew and it wasn't, um, it, it was a much more quiet thing and I was afraid to tell my family about it. And to this day, my mother doesn't know that I donated, but wow. it it really did change my life in, in many wonderful ways. And uh, and um, you and, and, uh, and Rav Shmuley, both will will see that over the years as uh, as <clears throat> as you move on. It's 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 been a wonderful thing, and uh, and and with all the positive things people have said about donation in the Jewish community, there's been some negatives in the past, um, and it's something that the as the community we have to do tshuva for. Um, uh, it's less now, but there was people going to Moldova and and, um, and and to Central America uh, to basically buy kidneys and be transplanted there. And that's something that, um, in fact, the only person convicted of organ trafficking in the United States was, um, was a Jewish fellow about just about the time I donated it, which is why I remember. Oh. Um, so it is a wonderful thing. And, uh, and, uh, it really is amazing. And, and I do know from uh, that renewal, even though they mostly um, it, it's helping, it's helping uh, Jewish people find uh, recipients, a lot of other faith-based communities consult with them right. about how to do it themselves. And, uh, right. and, and anyone close to them, they will help. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you make a right. good point because it's really like, there's really a mitzvah, mitzvah aspect of it. And not just in encouraging others, but it, it reduces the need for others to like make a more um, you know, sketchy decision, so to speak. And now it's become a great Kiddush Hashem, how many Jews are involved with this. Yes, I appreciate your comments very much. Awesome, thank you. Just one last question for you. You know, I was, I was recently listening to this podcast um, with this philosopher whose name is Theron P uh, Pummer on the rules of rescue. And this philosopher argues uh, kind of counterintuitively that you don't have to risk your life to save another life, fine. But if you do, and there are five over there and one over there, then you have done something wrong, ethically wrong, by choosing the one over the five. So there's no obligation to do it at all. But once you've decided to do it, you have to do the more impactful thing. So I wonder, personally or Jewishly, how you think about that in this regard, that, that if we are to take a risk, it has to be a more impactful one, in particular, as it relates to a chain um starting a chain versus donating to an individual do you think donors should seek out chains uh -huh. interesting i mean yeah it, that is interesting I, i've heard something like that before i mean obviously you want to do the biggest mitzvah you can do like the more good you can do oftentimes though with kidney donation with donations in general it's sometimes i, I worry that it's like a little bit of a yetsahara like a it's holding us back from doing the most good, we say, well, oh, I could do that, but you know, there's probably a better thing I could do, so I'm not gonna do it. You know, sometimes people will call me and say, lately, since I've gotten more involved with this issue, like, 
you know, I found out I'm a match or someone, I'm a perfect match, but that person is, you know, 79 years old, or that person is this or that. Right. And right. so maybe I should wait. And maybe in another year or two, another person will come along and that I could save someone who has small children or who's a child. Or, and sometimes it's like, well, you know, you know, it's like you have the chance right now. And, um, you know, anyways, it, it is a, you know, once you save one person, everyone else moves up on the list. And it's like, you, you hopefully encourage others. So someone else will give. And it, it, sometimes I, I just worried that by, by like trying to do, you know, sometimes the great is the enemy of the good, you know, and sometimes by waiting for that optimal ideal situation, we miss out on doing so much other good that we could be doing. Well said, well said. Thanks for Jason for so much for this. Thank you all for joining us near and far. And uh, hope you all keep learning with us and uh, we can continue to do meets folk together. Have a great day. Thank you very Thanks. much. Thanks very much. Thank you.